I am here with you. I am the Lizza. And I am the kid himself. And this is the podcast where two friends talk about two of our favorite things. Fish and beer. Fish and beer. God, what a what what's better about a podcast than fish and beer? I don't know. Not much. That encar- encompasses most of my life. <laughs> if not all of it. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Most of my wallet, I'll say that. <laughs> there you go. I guess that's the same thing? It's the same thing. Same thing. <laughs> ah, sorry. Hold on one second. Wait for it. All right. So what fish song is that? Uh, can't start a podcast without a possum. <laughs> can't start a fish podcast without a first song, first set possum. Ooh. <laughs> so this song was on 7-1-2011. The scene is a racetrack. But wait, there are no cars on this racetrack. There's a stage and a Ferris wheel. Is Wait, it? it's a racetrack like for cars, not for horses? It's a racetrack for cars, not really? for horses. Really? Yeah. I thought it was one for horses. Yeah, so Whoa. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a like a vroom vroom. Whoa. Mm. They do a Formula race on a a Formula One race on Watkins Glen. Yeah. So that just blew my mind. Yeah. So you actually pulled into the lot for that show. You like go right by like Cool. So we're talking about um Watkins Glen. We were talking about Super Bowl. We are talking, yes, Super Bowl 2011 Super Bowl, yes, July 11, 2011. Correct, awesome. So, Six we're at ago. Watkins Glen, which is a racetrack for like cars, room, 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 room. Man, see, now my whole world you just made my the picture in my How mind. How can melt. you say that you went to Magna Ball, which right, which I will Watkins be talking Glen. about? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I, I didn't see any. <laughs> I didn't see any. What do you think those that asphalt like zigzaggy thing going through the entire? <laughs> I don't know. You know, let's not talk about how spatially inept I am. Let's talk let's about to the... Super Bowl. So this is 2011. I'm just trying to place myself there, and now I'm sorry, but the race car thing threw me way off. Um, you were at Super Bowl, which is awesome. This was their ninth festival. Yes, this was Correct. immediately preceded Magna Ball, which I will talk about and yeah. my show, my one and only. Yeah, Baby. so obviously the topic of the fish side of this podcast today is festivals. Festivals. Um, let's talk about why that is the topic for today. And that is I was scrolling through my uh, Instagram and I popped a hashtag fish into the, you know, the explore section of Instagram. And uh, Gorge Amphitheater in George, Washington. Not inside of the deceased president, George Washington, but actually in George, comma, Washington. Uh, they had a post on their Instagram of the gorge looking nice and pretty on a sunset. And they were like, can't wait for summer. And they listed a bunch of bands. And one of those bands, hashtag fish. Nice. So you now are I'm, anticipating. I am, I am being one of those crazy fish rumored guys who's like, hey, I know what's up. West Coast Summer Tour. <laughs> I want to say you heard it here first, but I bet like we're the last. Yeah. Everyone in the fish community is like, nope, we already have our, our sure place is booked. We're going camping. I'm pretty sure the the picture that I saw right after that on Instagram was someone had already reposted it and highlighted it 
with the fish, like circles. Sweet. Cool. So Kay. possible West Coast tour. Yeah. And, and uh, festival. Festival Hope. at the Gorge. Yeah. I would, oh, man. I'm, I'm headed to Washington if that's the case, which is, you know, the second half of this podcast, Washington, while we're speaking about a state. What else is in Washington? What other cities in Washington that's super beer, beer friendly? What? Oh, man. Did I just confuse it with? No, Seattle. Come on. Seattle. God, my is in Washington. Oh, man. What a brain fart. I almost said freaking <laughs> Portland. Yeah, that's the not West in Coast Washington. is all the same to me. Damn, well, <laughs> I'll find my way to the right state to go see fish. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know where you're going me, with what you're saying. I, I think I'm what's sorry. also interesting about us both talking about festivals is that uh, Super Bowl, which was at Watkins Glen, was my first festival ever for any type of band. I'd never done Bonnaroo. Right. I right. actually hadn't. Oh, it was done, your like, first music festival correct, ever. Correct. Oh, that's I totally had, different. I had okay, never been I've been to, to music a, festivals. I just Magnaball is my first fish. Fish festival. fish festival. Yeah, see, that was really cool because I don't. I don't know why. Like, I got into like live concerts really late. I used sure. to really like listening to like studio albums mostly when I was like listening to music. I don't know if it's just because my dad had a really expansive and eclectic collection of CDs because my dad like was that guy when music came out in all its forms, had to get the albums that he had already purchased in its previous form again. So, um, yeah, I didn't get into like live concerts till I was 17. Wow. And I, yeah. And it was cool. like the music I was listening to was like classic rock and like really whatever. My, my first concert is Huba Stank opening for Velvet Revolver, <laughs> which is the where wash, was that washed up uh, Guns N' Roses. Correct. Um, it was at Homedale, New Jersey, PNC Bank Art Center. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa there. <laughs> my first concert. <laughs> my first concert was Peter, Paul and Mary. Oh, and I thought it was I thought it was the most torturous thing my <laughs> parents ever ever brought me to. I'm sure they loved and it. And now though. looking back on it, well, the only song I liked was Puff the Magic Dragon because I was a kid. <laughs> so you sit, imagine sitting through three hours of music just to get one song, you know, and you're a kid. I do it with fish all the time. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I do it all the time. But you. <laughs> well, fishman, I can't do drums. So one of, one of the things that I think is really cool when we think about going into a festival is kind of like what we think about going into new year's just like what's the thing that's going on um i know for me at super bowl there was a bunch of these like art installations that no right. one could really understand so i guess we should that should be said as well that yeah. when fish puts on a festival and again i've only been to one as well um there's a whole i guess what technically makes it a festival is an is an art installation something that is installed yeah and they also usually have a Ferris wheel. They have a lot of cool, fun outside activities. I, we went to a yeah. beer and um, food pairing at, Magnaball. at Magnaball. Yeah. yeah, they have a tent, like a restaurant tent. There's a lot of cool stuff. So there's a lot of stuff going on. It's like, honestly, fish festivals are amazing because it is like living your life in your dreams. It's <laughs> like if life was like just ev all fish fans. That was all your whole... The world encompassed just fish fans. That's what it's like for a while. Yeah. The I, magical, it, it, surreal it's, time. It's a cool... It's a cool moment. You have cool moments at the festival, but by the end of the festival, you're like, I would really love a shower. <laughs> and electricity and you know there are showers that I like <laughs> yeah but a lot of people don't use them <laughs> and not and less showers than there are people for sure i remember the uh when i went up for uh super bowl 
Yeah, I so describe like, Super Bowl. Because uh, I wasn't there. So we left that day early to get up to the lot to try to get like good parking. And we end up getting there around like five or six. It's like I remember the sun is like just getting ready to start setting. And Dude, stuff. that's much earlier than and when then, we went up for Magnaball. Yeah. Because we were there super late. Super night. late. Dark. It yeah, was dark. It was so like almost midnight. Where we ended up is actually not far where we were for Magnaball. There was this like S turn in the asphalt where you could like park all the way through that. And it was like the south entrance, southeast entrance of the festival. Sure. Um, That year it was just like super super like cool outside i remember it was no big deal i had my own car um i also remember that i was just like oh man there's gonna be like food trucks and like all this stuff there so i didn't bring a cooler i didn't bring like anything all i brought was like a little two-person tent that i rented at rei in manhattan and freaking threw it in the back of my car and just drove right up there no supplies and you went with <laughs> JP? I, the J3PO, shout out, um, of course, yeah. J3PO. So J3PO and his wife take their uh, car that they got, and they go to get a ton of beer. Neither one of us, of course, look at what the rules for the festival are, right? So when we roll up, I've got like a bunch of 30 cases of Budweiser in my trunk and the tent, and that's pretty much it. I think I had... Like uh, like a couple like Nalgins for water and like and that was it. Uh, J three PO rolls up and he's just like, "Yo, we're gonna rage. This is gonna be crazy." Like we like kind of looked at each other's cars before we got in line because we wanted to make sure we were gonna be next to each other and stuff. And <laughs> when they get to start checking the cars, they go onto the back and they just find all these cases of beer that he had bought, but they're glass bottles, and they're just like, "You can't have any of this inside." All the glass has to go. We're only allowing like aluminum and plastic. And JP or J3PO is just like, oh man, what am I supposed to do with this? So <laughs> I remember cuts open the top of a Poland spring and dumps all one style of beer into that. And he's like trying to do whatever he can to salvage all the beer. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, I'm glad God. that didn't happen with us at Magnaball. Yeah, thank God we read the rules that time. Uh, we were just so excited, honestly. Like, for me, I was super amped. Again, it's my first festival ever. I'd never done, like, the camping thing. I had never done just, like, multiple days of music thing. Um, it was just so, like, energizing that I think we just, like, again, got caught in the moment. I mean, how many times can you say that about Fish that you get, like, caught in this epic moment that, like, even the before, just getting there and getting in or whatever. So... What's, what was interesting is that they named all the lots, and all the lots were named after the states where they've never played. So one of them was called Alaska. There was North and South Dakota. Uh, Puerto Rico ended up being a place because they ran out of uh, places to park. So How many people attended Super Bowl? It was like 30,000 people. So cool, in terms cool, cool. of like their festivals overall, Magnaball was like, the same. Yeah, in terms of like the great went Magnaball was less. I think it was like twenty eight. No, Magnaball was supposed to be thirty thousand, and uh, re I mean like the, the if you look it up oh, online, it says forty. It, last it says forty thousand. Oh, so yeah, there were yeah. around forty thousand people there. I do remember that resell at the last minute, and they like sold them all of the resells. They opened up so more I, tickets. Yeah. So I mean. Festivals combine uh, two of my favorite things: fish and camping. 
and beer. Yeah. They combines all my favorite things. So anyway, what you do if you've never been to a fish, fish festival is yeah, you get in your car, you pile up all your stuff, uh, all your you, beer. You got you got to roll Coolers. through security, and then you all park your car, and then you just set up your tent immediately next to your car. And that's yeah. also a little weird for me because you know when you go camping normally, there's a lot where you park your cars and then you walk way far and you're at like a campsite. This is literally you park your car and in the cars are in a line. They're just lines and lines and lines, and you set up your tent right next to your car. Now see. This is a, another funny to, uh, point of topic to talk about that you bring up. Is that like <laughs> I had never set up a tent before, <laughs> so I was in yeah, Cub Scouts. Yeah, how did you get through I, that? <laughs> I was in Cub Scouts, and the year we were supposed to go camping, like it was super like cold or whatever, and it snowed. And we didn't get to go. Long story short, I never got that camping, not even that cabin experience. So I remember just having the two poles and just like kind of pull them apart and put them back together till yes. they fit in the place. The rods, yeah. Yeah, take yeah, you a long yeah. Time. But mine was just two because it was just a small little two-person tent. I felt bad for J3PO. He was putting together this massive, like, four-person tent. And, like, I put mine up in, like, two seconds and crack open a Budweiser and start drinking. And I'm just like, yeah, music time. Yeah, my, t- my like tent <laughs> only has two poles as well. <laughs> yeah. If they crisscross and just make that dome shape, you're good on two. Yeah, it, it's, I'm, I don't know. Again, I have no idea how this weekend magically put itself together. I just know that it was probably like going back and looking at the even what we were just playing set one day one um, possum peaches and regalia. That's the first time I ever get that song. The MoMA dance torn and frayed first timer for me. And I see you bathtub gin life on Mars. First time for me, my friend, my friend, Wolfman's brother. Roses are free. I think that's the first cover of Roses are free I get. And then Funky Bitch and Quinn the Eskimo. Yeah, that's, that's like insane first day. So did your your Super set. Bowl follow the same formula as Magdaball, which was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, seven sets overall. Correct. Across the three days. Correct. Right. So you had your Friday day set. No, your Friday no, was Friday just a night, night set, set with Correct. two sets. Then Saturday is the double. Double set. And then set. Sunday is the nighttime set. Uh, I think Sunday, or is it daytime and they send you I out? I thought I thought Sunday. I could let me double check. I thought Sunday. So anyway, you're you're chilling out. You got your tent all set up eventually, <laughs> and it's cool. People just walk around. Yeah, and we were playing so that's cornhole where I was going. Yeah, yeah. and chilling, drinking beer, so hanging out. One of the other cool parts, uh, other than getting like this nice little like gift bag to get in, and just has like all the the rules on it and like stickers and whatever, is um it has a map. And the map shows you like where all the lots are. So you can see where North and South Dakota was in relationship to oh, Alaska sweet. and like sweet. whatever. So obviously if your buddies were leaving like the tri-state area or wherever later, you could, they could be like, oh, we ended up in South Dakota. And we're like, oh, where you actually have to go. The, the one crappy part was that North and South Dakota was in between where like Alaska and Puerto Rico and all those other places were. So you had to cross the grounds. Yeah. In order to get so the grounds were closed for the night and it was super late. Like you're not getting to that other lot. It's kind of like a big wall. So that was the other cool part about it is that like your friends might end up in another spot. So you'd like wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm going to go across the campgrounds while they're open and go see my friends and then, you know, come back and have lunch and then go back in like it. It almost becomes part of the environment of just walking through these art installations and as we get into, I believe, the Saturday show at Super Bowl, um, one of the installations looks like a massive balloon, like cat or something that's like 
scared and it, like goes up on its legs and it's got like the hair on ends. Cool. And um, randomly through the second set, the art installation gets unhinged. I mean, not randomly. They planned that. And the crowd just starts crowd surfing it. And then people just start pulling it apart and it's just full of like balloons and like balls and shit. And people just start like bouncing them all around. It starts getting like crazy. Um, so that's like another like momentous moment for me. I was, I remember spinning around at one point when the sun's going down, especially on Friday night, just being like, holy shit, like the Ferris wheel lit up over everybody. I, they had the Ferris wheel also at, uh, at Magda ball too. Um, yeah. And b- they let you get on it like mid. I thought that was crazy. Like people we didn't ride it. Like, yeah. You didn't go on it at all. I, I, I get why people would do it. And I'm sure the view is like insane and, that's awesome, but for some reason I'd just rather be like page side, rage side, doing my thing than on a Ferris wheel. That's just me. Sweet. Shout out to those of you who do it, your troopers. I want to see your pictures. Send them. <laughs> my so my favorite thing about Magna Ball, and this is like not show related. I will go into my favorite musical moments okay. shortly. Um, but the the cool thing about Magna Ball is there was a speaking of food and camping and chilling, there was a farmers market every morning that was really dope the weekend we were there at magna ball yeah so some of my favorite you know moments outside concerts was like you're saying waking up and we had to walk far we were not close to the yeah so the stage. we were far from we, magna ball. i was I we was walked i mean well, and we got some cool bread in the morning and eggs and we chilled and we made really great yummy food yeah so actually when where we were for magna ball was significantly farther but in the same lot as where i was for super bowl and when we would wake up those mornings and start walking over <laughs> i saw for magna ball where my car would have been <laughs> and it was like all trashed and gross it's on the side of one of the turns of the racetrack so there's actually a slope so like all night you have like people drinking and like doing whatever and like as the beer is falling and like food or whatever it would like slide down this slope so it becomes like Ew. <laughs> and for some reason that was a thing at Magna Ball and it wasn't I got lucky at Super Bowl but like there's these little like kitschy things that you remember from one to the other where they bleed together and they don't like for some reason the secret set for us for Super Bowl was like this big like white what looked like a wannabe like warehouse and it had like these big doors that you could like walk through and there was stuff on the inside. That was the art installation. Cur- that was one of the art. That was one of several. Yeah. But yeah. That's super cool. Um, and like that was like super cool. Um, so they ended up playing inside that cor- house. Correct. Yes. So they pulled scrims down the holes. Right. And they lit them up with lights and stuff. And you all you could see on the inside of the house was like their silhouettes. And they're doing like this really crazy, like spacey jam, and they actually start rotating instruments, and they all start playing each other's stuff. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, at some point, maybe uh, we can play that as a bed at some point, since you know, not much going on there, but uh, the ambiance and the jam. Sweet. Um, but what musical moments you said you wanted to talk about for Magda Bomb? Right. So when you go to a fish festival, you have <laughs> uh, three yeah. full days of music. So yeah. there's always the first day, that's a nighttime set because you just get there. And then right. Saturday is a whole full day of music. And then Sunday, I think you might be right, is the day set or, or midday set. I think set. it's the mid, But yeah. the fish also always does a secret set. And it's always like a jam, secret jam at night after Saturday. You said yours was in your art installation. Correct. Which is cool. For us, they did, or for Magna Ball, you were there as well. They pulled down a movie screen, like a drive-in movie screen behind the bleachers. Oh, uh, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah, the stadium. And then they played 
super long, spacey, crazy jams, and there were projections of their silhouettes on, on the screen. Yeah. I do remember that. And then they shot fireworks from the top of the uh, the grandstand. I thought, did they do that, or was that the last night? Am I confusing? Fireworks was the last night. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Those those secret jam sets are just insane. Yeah, they're awesome. That's just like you're on this like crazy like I've been partying all day long and I just go into this like crazy mystical like it's from a musical standpoint. It's yeah. really interesting because they've been playing like a lot of like, you know, funk, bluegrass, hard rock and they just go somewhere completely different. Sure. Like they just go to this really cool, really like spacey uh like syncopated like and then they start you know messing around on each other's instruments and stuff at least for super bowl like they i think that's when they're really being awesome musicians and showing their creativity and their ability to just do things that are different for sure i feel like a lot of musicians kind of find their stride so, I mean, if you were to call out some great guitar players, you could say they have a very distinguished sound. Um, I think when they're doing jammy sets like that, those secret sets, like Trey doesn't sound like Trey anymore. Uh, Paige right. doesn't sound like Paige anymore. Like they, they start like coming out of themselves and start playing differently because they're allowed to because <laughs> it's almost like we're all, as the people there, knowing that it's a secret set, knowing that it's going to get really weird and really crazy. Sure, sure. And they're going to do really cool. Sure. And, like some people hear it. I mean, I, I very much was sitting at uh super Bowl and there were people walking by me being like, why are these people still sitting here listening to this noise? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Cause it's really awesome. Cause we just got done listening to them, you know, going hard. And now this is like more relaxing and cool. <laughs> I've been told by the J three PO that uh there's a festival and forgive me for not knowing what it is i'm a very young fish fan um where the secret set for them was they didn't tell anybody that they were like walking around the grounds yeah and they kind of just like set up and like rolled up with instruments and just started playing That's and cool. like no one knew about it and then everybody goes like rushing over it's like in high school when there's a fight and everybody goes to run over and be like oh but with instead of two people beating the crap out of each other it's <laughs> the band fish playing a secret set it's pretty awesome <laughs> that sounds awesome yeah i wish i would have been there music moments from uh from the magna balls tell me more i want to hear it what am i queuing up for you what are these moments uh run like the antelope saturday end of set one was one of my highlights that I remember because I got to see Run Like the Antelope in the daytime for the first time. So it was a weird experience for me and it was totally different, but it was also really raging. So were you like, was it weird for you because you were not expecting the song or was it weird for you just for like the environment? You were just like, I don't know if this is going to be cool because it's daytime. And there we go. Like, tell me about it. I just remember being really into the song at that time. I mean, Haku isn't into Run Like an Antelope, but uh, I and I remember being just very concerned that I wasn't seeing it at nighttime and there yeah. were no lights and it was, I mean, there are lights, but I wasn't paying attention to them because it was daytime. It was just weird. It was a very weird experience, but it ended up being super awesome and they jammed. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I kind of like get excited to see them during the daytime. Yeah, it was my first time. I had seen them during the day. 
So it was just weird to me because Antelope is a very like fucking powerful song with lights. And I was concerned that there weren't going to be any lights and it was during the daytime. But it was cool because everyone was fucking raging out on it. And didn't matter that the lights weren't there. I mean, they're there. They're, I, they're just, you know. Not in the same way in a closed arena. True. I mean, even at, n- at night, I mean, then you had the Ferris wheel behind you and that was kind of synced with shit. It was pretty cool. Yeah, the song was raging. But I that this day of the show, this day of the festival, I guess was the best. It was the Saturday before the last day. Um, and my other the my other highlight of the show was simple, which was the you know festival opener on that Friday because I called it. I called the opener. I won. <laughs> so I think when you say you won, you're referring to before the show. If you, me, and J3PO go. Uh, we try to guess what the set openers for each set are going to be. And you guessed it right. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty impressive feat. I don't think I've ever done it. I've called it out first. I've like heard the, the music and been like, oh, it's that. Yep, nailed it. <laughs> this is also the show where the first fucking set they played on that Friday night. They played The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday, and J3PO is having a freakout. Yeah. And then you didn't know what was going on, then got really excited because they played free. Yeah. Immediately after that. Yeah. I love that song. It's a great song. It's my favorite song. There weren't too many crazy... Uh, I mean, I guess this is saying after I saw Baker's Dozen, but looking back at this now, there weren't that many crazy bust-outs. For Magnaball? Yeah, for Magnaball. Yeah, so what was interesting is that, like, for me, I was in 2011. That's my first year in a fish. So I had this rule, and my rule has pretty much stayed the same the entire time. My rule of fish is that I only listen to music from song, or I only listen to music of the past of songs that I've gotten so far. So... When I first started seeing Fish, I would only allow myself to listen to the music that I got during that show. And I think that really helped me develop as a Fish fan and like really get me to like them because I was basically just reliving moments of songs that I've had, but they might be different iterations of songs. So right. I could find like longer versions of a Cross-Eyed and Painless that I really liked, but I only listened to it because I got Cross-Eyed and Painless. Right. So it kept a lot of music new for me for a really long time. Yeah, and sure. Magda or Super Bowl was a uh, eye-opening experience because I got a lot of new music, like a sure. lot sure, of sure. new stuff. Where, like, <laughs> some of them, hearing them years later, I'm just, I got a uh, Peaches and Regalia, and I was like, ah, oh, I've never gotten this before. And J3PO was like, yo, we got this at Super Bowl, and I was like, oh right, I was just super like dancing and fucked up and having a good time. And it, Peaches and Regalia is like three minutes long. So it was like sandwiched between stuff. And I was like, oh, I remember the thing before and the thing after, but like in between. So it was this really awesome, like momentous, like new music exposure to the point. And the point I'm trying to make right now is that it was so much stuff that I even forget some of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it was amazing. All of a sudden, I'm able to listen to all these different tracks of things that are like monumental and cool and try to give you a uh, an example of some cool shit that I saw 
Can I talk about what I'm drinking while you're doing that? Yeah, what are you drinking? I am drinking a German-style Kolsch from Millhouse Brewing Company, and they are based out of Poughkeepsie, New York. It's pretty tasty. I will, I will be there later this week. Nice. Give you a full report back. Nice. Yeah, bring us some beer back to sample on the next podcast to follow up on these guys. Let's see what's going on. Yeah, this is their flagship. It's called Cold One. It's a German-style Kolsch. It's really great. It's one... I'll give I'll give you a little description. It's won an award uh, in Hudson Valley, I believe. Um, it's pretty good. It's really light, really easy drinking. Uh, I think that's what they were going for with it. And I love Kolsch's and Lagers and Pilsners right now in my beer drinking career. Uh, so yeah, they won the 2016 Tap New York Hudson Valley Bronze for this light lager, and it's really good. It's very tasty. Yeah. I'm going to bring some to J3PO who would like this. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. What so are you drinking? Uh, so I am drinking a Gamehenge Brewing Company Pale Ale. Nice. Gamehenge Brewing Company is a pet project of mine. It's basically, hey, I make beer and I want you to try it and tell me what you think. And I want you to drink it and give me feedback and help me make better beer. Very cool. Uh, so, shout out real quick. If you want some free beer and want to give me some free feedback, uh, hit us up at Gamehenge Brewing Company on Instagram. We have a Twitter as well, Facebook. And, uh, yeah, it's delicious. And, and this antelope's about to explode right now. Yeah, it's about to bust. See, this is usually where the lights are going crazy. And I'm sure they're going crazy, but seeing them during the day is different than seeing them in a closed right. arena. So right. I just thought the energy wouldn't be there, but I was totally wrong. Everyone was freaking out. I'm expecting to hear them in a second. Wait for it. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, if that was an indoor moment at MSG, the crowd would have been ro- like uproarious right there. They would have just been, it would have been like thunder. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference too. I mean, capturing that sound is also, I mean, I'm not going to snuff MSG. It is roaringly loud, but it does help that it's all captured inside. And, you know, I'm, we were we were pretty loud at both festivals, I feel like, enough but I don't. Want, I don't want to snuff your moment. This is a freaking rocking song. Spike, man, man. Do you remember what the art installations were for Magnaball? I remember the they ear and the ear. The ear. I was gonna say earwig. What's the uh, the thing that goes in your ear? Thing you the do. Q-tip. Yeah, yeah. Q-tip. Yeah, I remember cleaning some ears there. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And you were tripping balls on acid. Yeah. Oh man, you want to talk about that? So what was the other? What were the other installations? It was they were um, clay. I guess they were made of clay or plastic. Whatever. They were ears growing out of the ground. Yeah, they were neon green. Right, they neon were like green. Seahawks green. Correct. It's insane. Yeah. 
Why and not they, us? They <laughs> and they gave you Q-tips, gigantic Q-tips that were like taller than you. And you could go in and stick the Q-tip in the ear and like clean out the ear. I bet you love doing that. Oh, it was great. I, I've, I've been told that Q-tips are bad for your ears. And I argue that you just never done it right. <laughs> I don't need it's to use Q-tips. Uh, I some do people don't have a waxy buildup that's as intense as um, some as others. I will say this about my ears the same way I will say this about fish. It's about the sensation and what you put into it. <laughs> I just surrender to the flow, man. <laughs> I let that wax go. <laughs> to each their own. No fish fan is wrong. They're just chasing a really good song. Oh. <laughs> Hot dang. Hot over there. If fish ever listens to this podcast, invite me over. I'll write some lyrics and hang out. <laughs> God, I, I couldn't do that. Uh, you remember when we were uh, at Jazz Fest and I met Paige and I freaked out like a little schoolgirl? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a show. Let me just say that. Seeing what Paige play show. with the Meterman was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, really Tab is uh, Tab's going to be at... Uh, Shout out to Trey Anastasio, Ben. They're going to be at Jazz Fest in New Orleans this year, in April. Oh, man. That should be cool. I hope I hope they simulcast that. I'll watch that. <laughs> so, first of all, let me let me just backtrack real quick and fact check myself. So, Watkins Glen was four days for me for Super Bowl. For you. Yeah, it was the 30th, the 1st, the 2nd, and the 3rd. It was leading up to 4th of July. Okay. Um. And it, it it's just kind of, it, it's just insane how much new music, again, is where we were going with uh, my point of how much I've gotten in this show. And there were just a lot of, like, open jams. So, th like, on the 30th, there was a f 11 minute and 55 second, like, if you try to look it up on a set list, it just says jam. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. And then, uh, so... 30th let's just i'll go through the set and then i'll tell you what i think is the ones that i got brand new undermine after the jam sleep again my soul ginseng sylvan and then another jam i'm pretty sure this is like the the early bed that's also when they had like <laughs> rv like special parking um that was for like the the richy 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 rich 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 people who just wanted to glam then set one of seven one is Possum, Peaches and Regalia, Moma Dance, Torn and Frayed, NSAU, Bathtub, Gin, Life on Mars, brand new for me, My Friend, My Friend, Wolfman's Brother, Roses are Free, Funky Bitch, Quinn the Eskimo, Jam in the second set, Jam, which is just three minutes, 25 seconds long, Into Cross-Eyed and Painless, Chalk Dust, Dor Torture, Sand, The Wedge, Mike's Song, Simple, Bug, which is new for me, The Horse, new for me, Silent in the Morning, Weekapog, uh, Groove, Joy, Character Zero, and Show of Life, which is new for me. I love that. And the last time I got that was at SPAC Saratoga a couple summers ago. Show of Life? Yeah. It's dope. So the second is Tube, Kill Devil Falls, Ocelot, Lawn Boy, Divided Sky, Boogie on Reggae Woman, Camel Walk, Cities, Poor Heart, 46 Days, Suskin Hotel, brand new for me. When the Circus Comes to Down, Timber, Back on the Train, Susie Greenberg, Monkey Man. Monkey Man <laughs> is new for me. Runaway Jim. McGrupp and the watch, uh, Watchful Hostmaster, I think, is new for me. Axilla. Birds of a Feather. Stash Sample in a Jar. Heavy Things. Horn. It's Ice, new for me. Mango Song. Rift. Sense and Subtle, de Sense and subtle Sounds, new for me. Run Like an Antelope. 
Then the third set, because of course it's the second, Golden Age, Prince Caspian, Piper, Tweezer, Julius, backwards down the number line, Twist, also Sparch, Zathasura, which I can never say right, but is new for me, Harry Hood, Cavern, Golgi, Apparatus, A Day in the Life, Encore is Loving Cup and Tweezer Reprise, and then you have the secret set, which is 54 minutes and 22 seconds long. Play a little bit of that. The secret set? Yeah. Yeah, why don't we, we're, you know, we're going to take a quick five-minute break, and we're going to, you know, play some in the secret set, and we'll be back with you guys in a little bit.
All right, we are back from our five-minute break. And, uh, I mean, to you guys, it's five minutes. <laughs> you don't know if we're pulling a fish or not. <laughs> of course, during the said five-minute break, we have, uh, you know, snacks and things to keep us going for the duration of the podcast. And right when I bring us back... The Liz's mid bite. <laughs> my timing, my my timing could not be better. <laughs> so we sorry, I'm loving this beer. Yeah, we've we've now. I mean, uh, the Liz is still drinking the cold one, but it's now my turn to ascend and you know into space like this jam. Oh man, this thing reeks. Ooh. So this is the Grim Lambo door. Lambo door. Lambo baby. Shout out to Green Bay fans, which I'm not, but I do love them. And Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers. Yeah, you're a Seahawks fan. What are you talking about? Lambo door. Double IPA. Eight percent. Eight percent. And we were just listening to a little bit of your secret set, Jim, from Super Bowl yeah. in 2011. And it did sound really cool. Our the one that we got at Magna Ball was a lot more mellow and spacey and kind of visceral. That sounded cool. Yeah, I mean, this one had it, it again. It was fifty four minutes long. There were parts of it that yeah, just sounded like sheer like noise to me. I, I you gotta like kind of get lost in it, but yeah, it was it was it was interesting. I really appreciated like how they did the gag, like with the silhouettes and the colors and like. Uh, Seeing them like move around the little art installation, that was cool. But uh, now that yeah, we've that's just another cool thing of what they do at festivals. Secret set, yeah. you only get that at festivals. Yep, got to get out there. Fish hip. festivals, Gorge Amphitheater. So now uh, that we're moving over, we're gonna talk about our beer stuff. Beer stuff. Um, yeah. How's that Lambo? I I don't it's remember like what really, it tastes like. Really, really like fruity. Yeah, like pineapples. Yeah. It's really, really. Fruity. I'm pretty sure this is the one that tastes like pineapples. Yeah. It's um, fruity but hoppy. You know. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, it's good. It's very good. It is very. It looks citrusy, hoppy. Yeah, and it looks. It like tastes like grapefruit juice to yeah. me. Door. From Grim. Grim Artisanal Ales. Grim getting it right. Grim Artisanal. Well, while we move into beer, let's talk. Ab- let's talk about something that every home brewer and professional brewer has to go in and out of, and that's kegging and bottling. So I know this is a very interesting topic for us because I, as a home brewer, have only ever kegged. Correct. And, and I started out bottling. Yeah, as a lot of people do. Yes, I feel like the natural progression of things, like anything, is. You know, home brewer gets a one-gallon kit, then they do partial mash, then they do full grain, then they move on over to, you know, um, they do the carbonation uh, pellets in the bottles, and then after that, they invest some more money in some fridges and stuff, and they start kegging, and then from there, they, you know, go to one barrel, next thing you know, they have a brewery. That's the story. Story of the that is a brewer. good progression <laughs> of, of events if you're a home brewer. 
I think you definitely touched on something crucial, which is temperature control. Yeah. And that's why I never uh, kegged right off the bat. I didn't have a uh, freezer, global refrigerator. I didn't have anything to control the temperature of my kegs. Yeah. So um, I mean, bottles are the same way, and I just left them out. So, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, so going to, I, I honestly, to this day, have never, like, bottled that way. I've never, You've like, never bottled beer. I've n- I've bottled beer. I've just never. You've bottled it via the keg, though. Correct. With a I've, gun. I've never gone into, like, straight out of, like, my chiller. In sure. To bottle, or, you know, out of my fermenter into bottles and sure. carbonation pellets and cap it and put it in the fridge. Yeah, it's a real It sounds dangerous. Grind. It sounds dangerous. Like bombs are going to go off in your refrigerator. That is, that is something that happens. It's never happened to me, luckily. Um, there were definitely many times where I would go to open up a homebrew bottle and the liquid would geyser out. Uh, and it would just be it was like a you know a science project uh, volcano. Yeah, and then there would yeah. be about a half inch of liquid left in the bottom of a twenty two ounce bottle. That's crazy. So that was very forcefully <laughs> overcarbonated. I had to scrub my kitchen many times because of that. Do they pop? Like the glass never shatters. I've never had glass okay. shatter. A lot of people talk to me because they know I homebrew. They talk to me. That's exactly the topic that they talk to me about. I have more conversations with first time homebrewers or really early on homebrewers, and they are never sure. <laughs> about how much priming sugar to add because a lot of them are taught to add honey which actually imparts a very sweet flavor onto your beer so it's not recommended but right. anyway they have no concept of what that means and they're all afraid that their bottles are going to explode yeah and it, it takes a lot for a bottle to explode so you're telling me bottling for a home brewer is like pop rocks and coke for like a six-year-old <laughs> like they're intrigued by it <laughs> they 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 want to wrap their brains around it but they're deathly afraid of dying <laughs> <laughs> sure I, I just yeah just yeah that's it's at a homebrew level bottling and adding different amounts of priming sugar it's the most like um unpredictable part of the process yeah it sounds like it could really impact the finish of your beer and it does and, and it just like you could be telling me that i'm drinking something that's supposed to be you know really dry or hibiscusy, and it just tastes like honey exactly yeah, that's insane. I I'm so glad I skipped that step. So like, I'm assuming for most people it's because I I don't imagine that you can't just put it uh, put a beer in a keg and serve it warm. Like that would technically not be cask ales, but kind of. <laughs> most people, I mean, when I was home brewing, had n- there was nowhere to like buy kegs. I mean, I guess there was always the internet, but like it was not yeah. something that people did. They always just handballed their stuff. And many people did that because they wanted to share it. They wanted a physical thing they could hand to their friend and say, here, I brewed this kind of thing. Yeah, see, that's that's where I'm also at with it, where it's just like the amount of money I would need to invest just in bottles and you're never going to see them again. That's another reason why I'm really glad I went straight to kegging. Kegging is just like, come over. I have two bar taps in my apartment. You can pull one of them and beer comes out. Yeah, that's a kegerator. <laughs> I've always wanted one of those. I did not have the luxury or the time or the know-how to do that. I was also very weary of uh, having gas tanks in my yeah living area. So uh, that kind of was something that never jived for me. Um, but bottling was horrible. I don't recommend it. I do recommend going straight to kegging. Um, like I said, there's no real way to make sure you do anything accurately. Essentially, after your beer is fully fermented, what you do is you have to just stir in a percentage of priming sugar, which is just corn sugar, has no flavor, or they a lot of recipes tell you honey, which again is not ideal. Um, and then you have to like 
you know, uh, siphon out, <laughs> like individual fill siphon a little tiny wand into each bottle and cap it. And you're never going to get equal ratios, you know, so they're all differently carbonated. And it depends on how long you let them sit. Um, but they usually take another, you know, week or so, two weeks to carbonate. And again, you, every single time you open a bottle, you never know what you're going to get. Well, yeah, that's nuts. Plus, it's hard to hide all your trub and stuff, your grossness, the, you know, your super unclean, dirty beer as a home brewer in a bottle. You know, when you're when you're an amateur and you're starting out, you get like a, you a know, quarter, quarter inch, quarter inch of yeah, nasty ass old yeast and trub at the bottom of your bottle. So it's not nice. It's not Some, pretty. I mean, I, I'm not going to speak for every beer drink in the world. I'm sure most don't want that, but I'm sure there's some beer geeks out there that are like, I don't mind because then I can clone it, bro. I can clone the beer. But so I I want what's I where I'm going with this and where what I want really want to talk about is what got us into homebrewing because I think we got into homebrewing at very different times of like just the beer industry. I think we both have very interesting stories that got us to that moment where we homebrewed and um, I know when we met, like, homebrewing was something that, like, you fell back into. Um, right. Because, you know, we've been friends and we've been hanging out. And, you know, now we know, you know, you know, J3PO. You met him through me. So right. there's just this really interesting um, story behind, I think, the significance of your start out or your starting out and mine started, my starting out. <laughs> sure. If I can, you know, sure, sure. Get the words I think out my, my I think my story is more typical than yours. I, um, or not. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how anyone gets into homebrewing. <laughs> um, I had worked at a bottle shop and we had started selling homebrew equipment, and <laughs> I got a discount on it. So I was all about it. I love to cook, and yeah. it was kind of you know pitched to me as being very similar to cooking. You can make your own beer, which I thought was totally cool. So I, uh, we sold definitely the the Brooklyn Brew Shop kits at the time. So I took a one gallon home and I lived in an apartment. So it's all I could afford to do spatially and financially. Uh, and I, <laughs> right out the gate, as most home brewers do, wanted to do the craziest shit I could think of. So wait, I had a ton wait, wait, of ingredients wait, 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 wait. to beer. So this is, this is a Brooklyn one gallon kit. So I'm assuming this is all like, uh, all grain. It's all grain. It's an all grain one gallon. Yeah. And that's how I wanted to start out. I was determined never to ever use DME malt extract ever. Yeah, I was going to say no malt extract kit. Nope. I've never no, brewed with no, extract. No plastic one gallon like little fermenter. <laughs> Nada. That's crazy. Yeah, so I was doing one gallon recipes all green. And the trouble with that, I quickly found, was that I, again, love to cook. So I like to use recipes but change them completely, put my own flourishes on them. And that was very hard at a one gallon level. Because a no nothing you could find on the internet clones or you know other you know homebrew form recipes no one had anything for a one gallon size batch yeah, so yeah. the only thing I could do was go buy like Percentage. repacked repacked you know one gallon packs from the same company which huh. is cool but I very quickly wanted to branch out and do my own thing and I mm-hmm. found it very hard to find recipes what I would do is take a three gallon recipe. And, Scale it back. and third it. Yeah. And yeah. again, that already was starting off very inaccurate. I did not believe in using a hydrometer. I didn't own a hydrometer. I didn't believe what? in using a hydrometer. I didn't care about ABV. I just cared about how my beer tasted. So I never knew how strong my beer was. I never knew how alcoholic it was. Wow. I just pulled it when it stopped bubbling. <laughs> and that's that was that. So all my beers are probably really fucking high in alcohol. 
Uh, I made a saison with strawberries, which is still to date my, my favorite beer that I've ever brewed. Huh. And it was not wild, but you know, I didn't from I didn't uh, treat the strawberries in any way, so I just cut them up and tossed them in there. So any you know bacteria that was on the strawberries got into my beer, and it was great. It was like slightly tart, super lightly strawberry. I had a nose of strawberry. It was great. I did wow. a blueberry saison aged in oak chips as well. See, huh. these are things I wanted to do right out the gate, and these are incredibly complicated things. Nothing a, a home brewer should probably do, especially when it's using a one gallon kit. Um. But yeah, that was great. And then I graduated up to a five gallon. I pulled the trigger. I bought all the stuff. <laughs> and I did that for a while. And I didn't have a work chiller. So I there are many trips where I had to take to buy, you know, 10 pounds of ice. Oh, my gosh. 10 bags of ice. In the tub? Yep. Pulled it down oh the tub. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And by this point, I was making like hibiscus, pink peppercorn, pale ales, and things of that nature. Of course. <laughs> um, so yeah, I you know you got your finger on the pulse though. I yeah. mean, what what year is this that you're doing this? I don't remember when I started home brewing. This is years ago. This is probably like twelve years ago. Yeah, you had your fi- <laughs> people are doing pink peppercorn hibiscus now. You had your finger on the pulse twelve years ago. Well, you know you know how many Belgian wheat ales have coriander and yeah. orange peel, bitter orange peel. So yeah. I wanted to do something similar but different. So I did pink peppercorns, which are actually really floral and sort of fruity, not really peppery and spicy. Right. Um, and then I wanted to do hibiscus peel instead of bitter orange peel. So it turned out really well. Yeah, that I sounds like really <laughs> great. I want to drink one right now. That sounds dope. Yeah, my beers were great, except the, so the one downfall, <laughs> if we're talking about bottling and kegging, the one gallon only yielded six to eight bottles. Oh so I would do all God. that work for six to eight bottles of beer. <laughs> yeah, I'm And out. then after I opened them, you know, <laughs> four exploded. So you basically have two now, you're thinking. And you get two total. And the two might be different. And it's funny because with brewing, you know, it's the same time commitment. You're, you're yeah. <laughs> quantity is different, but it's the same time commitment. So I was still spending all that time. Eight hours a day. Brewing one gallon batches. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so, uh, you know, speaking of where our, our homebrew careers overlap, I didn't really start getting into anything super serious until I met you and J3PO, and you guys were chugging along and making really awesome recipes on a five-gallon. And that was honestly the the first time I'd seen somebody brew on a five-gallon system regularly. I mean, I had done it, but I didn't do it <laughs> correctly in any way. So yeah. you you guys doing it was the first actual time I've seen like a, a method and a, and a quick fluidness of brewing on a five-gallon system. Yeah, so I guess for me, like... I had just studied abroad and uh, I, I came back and it was just, you know, I was drinking Budweiser and Keystone and, and Natty and uh, J3PO and I were working together and he was just like, it's time for you. You know, you're graduating college. You got to graduate out of that, you know, college beer. And he said that to me and I just started thinking and I was like, this is kind of weird that he says that because I remember like walking to class in Madrid and like women would be drinking beer at like nine o'clock in the morning while eating breakfast. It was like crazy. Stella Artois, nine o'clock in the morning with your scrambled eggs. Like and I, was, I was just so perplexed. I was just like, well, you know, when I when I drink, it's just, you know, because I'm in college and that's what we do. And that's just how it is. And I really wanted to understand what that is. So I remember one of the trips I took was to the Guinness, um, what do they call it now? The Guinness Storehouse, it's not the Guinness Factory. Um, and throughout the many stages of like climbing up the uh, the building to get to the top, which is you get to like have a pint, like a, this awesome 360 bar, um, they let you 
taste a bunch of different beers. They pair it with a bunch of different stuff. They really do it right, where they kind of walk you through the process. Um, when you get to like the very first step, there's a whole set of grain out there. Do you like pick it up? I, I thought it was really weird. Yeah, that isn't pe- that the thing you walk from the bottom to the top, and as you walk right. up, they so show you like the yeast and then right. the grains. So they the break steps. down brewing for you. That right. was the first time you'd ever seen anyone talk about brewing beer as a process. Right. And I remember um, the when I was there, they had just opened the new storehouse, so you're not allowed in the factory. The factory's like behind lock and key. Um, so when you're going through this, it's shaped like a glass of Guinness. And as you go up, it's again, like you're saying, the four different stages and all the ingredients and whatever. I know and from Conan O'Brien, he did a whole <laughs> oh, late night skit. And he did he <laughs> toured the Guinness thing. And he went on top and he had to pour the thing. And he was pissing everybody off because he was doing it wrong and causing chaos as usual. But yeah, <laughs> I, I've seen pictures of it. Yeah, so... That kind of was like my first view into the process. I get back. And that and, intrigued and, you. That and, intrigued you. Yeah, I was interested. Because Conan was bored and was making fun of the whole Yeah, time. I honestly was making fun of people. I was like, right. why are they eating grain? That's disgusting. Why You didn't do that, it? And that grain, no. People like freaking just had their hands, their hands in, it. in it. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's like my germs. Like, I don't want that. But yeah. Fair I, enough. I wasn't I was into it. I was into all the beer I got well, to when drink you got on the back, way to the When top. you got back here and you were brewing, you were so, into tasting the ingredients. Uh, J3PO was uh, brewing some beer at that time. And he, I was just like, you know what, man? Like, could you use a hand? Like, I'm just kind of interested. I Again, my mindset coming from it was just like, if I try to like see how the process, like if I watch a how's it made of beer, like I'll unlock this Care thing about in my brain and I'll yeah I'll start exploring. You'll be into it more. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I yeah. won't just drink. That makes sense. Like whatever. So we go and I, I brew with him and uh, again he's got a keezer. He's actually got a fermenter. Um, he's got the five gallon you know Blickman pot and the and the mash tun and everything to go. So yeah, I'm he had the just, setup. I'm kind of just like watching and you know I get to do all the all the fun parts that you know. Everyone enjoys a brewing and kind of just like see it in all its processes. He actually was making fun of me our first brew session together because we would mash. And when we would drain the water for the mash, I would take a little bit and I would drink it. He'd be like, why do you want to drink that? That's just like sugary water. And I was like, I don't know. I just want to know what it tastes like. And then we would. Yeah, for sure. We would boil. And after the boil, I'd be like, I'd pour some out, let it cool down. He's like, that's just going to taste like bitter sugary water and i was like i know i just want to and i just kind of came at it that from that like curious yeah i want to know what's going on uh state and then again we went right out of the fermenter we went straight into kegs and again i've heard stories of people i have a couple friends who are also home brewers and they still to this day have only done bottling and just hear like oh, i gotta do this priming sugar thing or whatever and i'm just like that's a bomb ready to go off in my fridge you know all the stereotypes we're talking about and i've never had to think about it i've only ever had access to you know, you know the co2 tanks and the kegs and and the whatever and you were talking about like sourcing that stuff and being able to find it on the internet yeah j3po didn't even have the opportunity of finding it on the internet he just was able to buy the kegs used at like here or there places like yeah I never had that problem. By the time I got my own homebrew kit, I went right to a homebrew shop, was able to get whatever I needed. I got on the internet and got everything else. That's awesome. I could go on to uh, Lowe's and order a fridge and have them drop it off in my apartment. Yeah. So it's like I, I had such easy access to the things that I needed to do what I needed to do. Yeah. And it's I don't I don't think I would 
there's parts of me that wonder like what type of home brewer would I be if I had gone through the same steps as everybody else. Now, mind you, I'm cook I'm a home brewing with a guy who's been doing it for years, even longer than you since the nineties. He's made all those mistakes of like trying to do like blueberry, whatever, or, you know, these really crazy outrageous. I want to throw things that probably should never go into beer into beer. Um, he's had all the sanitation problems. He's had all the things that typical homebrewers go through. Having one hydrometer, cracking it in your hand, and being like, "Well, I guess I'm not taking a reading for this time." You know, I didn't. I didn't make any of those mistakes because he got to make them for me. And when I share that story with people, they're just like, "Wow, you really got like the fast track, the like the straight shot through." And when they tell me that, I'm just like, "I can't see any other way. I can't imagine." sourcing bottles like where did you get bottles when you couldn't get them on the internet you i guess you just my uh, the homebrew them. shop i worked at told them okay we sold cases of 24 12 ounce or 12 22 ounce the way they come when they're packaged normally okay i i mean again i would think to just drink but again and recycle the bottles that i get in market like <laughs> i tried that uh it's <laughs> something i wouldn't worse wish on my worst enemy is torture it's horrible scraping off bottle labels is really <laughs> horrible <laughs> really horrible do not, i do not, do not recommend that you'd either. rather get the five cents return <laughs> than get the f- the, <laughs> the it's just not worth it it's a lot of your time mm. time that i was trying to not <laughs> be scrubbing bottles for a while yeah i mean there, again like you're saying there's also a lot of advantageous points to being able to keg and there's interesting things that you can do. If you wanted to use, if you had two kegs, for example, you could use one as a home brewer's version of a bright tank and just let it sit from one yeah. and transfer to another. Yeah, that's true. Um, you can also use them as fermenters. You can augment the the keg tops and, and get like um, a, uh, what are they called? The, um, the blow-off valves. You can get those installed in the head yeah. and you can do that. So, I mean, it's... It, Kind of to me, moving from bottling to kegging, or I guess for me, just starting with kegging, is the closest you get to being commercial at a homebrew level. <laughs> uh, you have access to kind of all this stuff, uh, controlling your carbonation, having things being less carbonated for specific styles to more carbonated. It, I mean, if you're kegging, you have a geezer, so you can serve at serving yeah. temperature. You have gas lines, and you're worrying about like setting those up. Like you're pretty. See, much so that's that the thing. If you are like a handy person and have tools and can like hook up your tubes to your hardware and understand like the workings of a kegerator, which I do, and a lot of people do, but some people don't. And if you're like doing this novicely, which a lot of people step into this doing, they approach it as being very like fun and like they're just gonna like do it because it's a kit. Like there are yeah. different levels of it. And like honestly, I worked at a homebrew shop, so a large part of that when people were getting into homebrewing was kind of steering them in the right direction. Right. You had to suss out whether or not they were going to take this seriously and want to do it for a while and do it regularly and do it for a consistent hobby, or it was just some throwaway thing that they were doing one time that they thought was really fun. Right. So this is like the white and yellow belt karate class. Right. Like you're waiting to see if people right. make it to yellow right. belt. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, so I, I, I always wanted a keg. I just, I, I personally never got that serious about it, nor did, you know, a lot of people. So bottling was just a really easy way to get your concoction into, uh, you know, out to the people, like I said, in people's hands. If you keg yeah. beer, you have to have some way to dispense that, and you still need a bottling gun then to bottle it after you keg you, you, you it, know, unless you have a kegerator. Now, now that you say that, I mean, I, I have a, 
Yeah, I have a kegerator. So I guess for me, what you're saying doesn't really phase me because I can just take one of the lines of my kegerator and I can just pump CO2 through it instead. Right, you can have a serving I, line. I can Correct. Have, well, I can have one to purge and one to actually fill growlers. You know what I'm saying? So I can get these like little mini 32-ounce growlers instead of the the 12-ounce bottles. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, there's ways. It's there's just an investment, again. To do it. Yeah, it's just equipment, I guess, at the end of the day is what we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, how much you want to accrue. But anyway, um, bottling was horrible, and kegging is super fun. <laughs> That's my <laughs> assessment of those two things. Uh, yeah. I always cleaning love hearing stories. Cleaning a keg is not fun. I mean, but cleaning anything in home brewing is hardly fun. Agreed. Um, it's probably the most important part of homebrewing and like it's like <laughs> it's the laundry you, i don't mind going and some people don't mind going and doing laundry some people don't like folding the laundry i feel like brewing with keg uh, brewing it with kegging in mind is the same thing <laughs> uh word <laughs> well we've been talking about what got us to homebrewing let's talk about our gateway beer what is the beer that started it all? What beautiful carbonated liquid touched your tongue and said, hey, this beer thing, I'm into it. Let's do this. What was it for you? What was it for That's me? That's a loaded question. Are you, do you mean what beer did I drink originally when I first drank a lot of beer, not knowingly? Or what beer was the first craft beer that got me into like understanding that beer is cool and a thing and like has different components and things that I should study and be into. And you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, going to venture out there. Let's do both. Let's talk about the one beer, the first beer we ever drank. And then the beer that the first craft craft beer that like started our exploration into, you know, the scene and, and getting us into different you know styles of beer. I don't remember what beer I first drank or like what beers I drank when I got into beer. Huh. I remember like crystal clear. So my uncle used to have these barbecues. He used to uh, live right around the corner from me and big family barbecues. And our family is, mm, I'm Puerto Rican. So our families are huge and we have these like massive, like uh, aunts and uncles driving from every, you know, sector of wherever they can come in to hang out. And I'm like eight years old and I ventured down into the basement where all my uncles and my dad and, you know, all the guys are hanging out the man cave and they're like, Jason, come over here. And I walk over and they're just like, you got to try this thing. You're a man now. You're going to be a man. Got to try this. And they hand me a Heineken. And I remember putting the bottle up to my lips, taking a sip and making a face, all of them laughing at me and then just me running out of the room. First beer ever. Done. Yeah, no eight-year-old kid is going to like beer. A Heineken, no less. That funky finish. Like, I know it's made to be that way. It's a very specific for what they're trying to do. They're nailing it. That's awesome. But to an eight-year-old, it's just like, I thought this was going to be soda. <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> Fast forward to me coming back from, you know, my study abroad and, and hanging out with uh, J3PO to brew. I go to a bar and I look down the list and it's still, I haven't graduated to adult bars yet. Like awesome places that serve craft beer. I'm still going to normal dive bars and I order a whole garden and 
I remember sipping it and being like, I didn't know beer could taste like bananas. <laughs> and like have that little like spice to it that like kind of cuts that banana flavor. And I immediately went off the deep end on Belgian beers. So I started drinking quads and triples. I was like, I didn't know beer could be sweet. I didn't know beer could be all these, uh, you know, aspects that really fit my palate. I have like an insatiable sweet tooth. So as you get, in, especially into the the triples and quads, not only do they have this like really funky, awesome like Belgian yeast notes of these bananas and and these like citrus and like all these awesome things, but like. Now I have this like super sweet malty beer. It kind of just satisfied my entire palate. Right. So you're saying you discovered beer. <laughs> you're saying you discovered something past the lagers, like light lagers, I which went, is a lot I, of what I, America I, has and what you probably grew up around being. Young. I went straight from light lager to triples and quads. Belgian triples and quads. Belgian stuff. It's really funny you say that, and it sounds like such a leap, but for some reason, yeah, after people kind of graduate out of the macro land, their first kind of book is to Belgian-style beers. Yeah. And I think it's because the of the three main styles, Abbey Doubles, Belgian triples, and then quadruples, they're, those three things put together expand kind of everyone's palate, like you're saying. At doubles are kind of like just copper amber malty or caramel tasting beers then you have a triple which is like a again like you're saying golden straw color tastes like um uh, the yeast pre- predominantly the yeast the belgian yeast which right. has that like clovey banana spicy thing yeah probably no one who's been drinking budweiser's or heineken's understands that yeast has any contribution to, to beer i bet people think bananas in the beer I bet people think they Probably. slice off bananas and chop them Probably. up. <laughs> uh, and then quads are also, you know, more that stouty route, but in a much more complex way. They have, you know, dark raisin, fig, plum, that kind of notes. Yeah. But again, they're all three of those are dry. They're very dry on your palate. Mm. So again, Belgian beer also pairs really well with food. So if you think you're trying to like get into it and be a connoisseur, you know, after your lager, <laughs> um, you're like, "Whoa, this is such a fancy beer! It goes with the food. They can pair with food." If you're trying to Portlandia this like express track, <laughs> you go straight to the Belgian beers. Sure. <laughs> I drink a lot of Blue Moon. I do remember drinking a lot of Blue Moon. I think it just because it was light, it wasn't too heavy. It's approachable. You said it right. It's approachable. Right. I I think it, it it's a beer. Part of Let's be real here. Part of drinking beer is very social. And if you're standing next to someone and they're like, hey, what are you drinking? And you're like, a Keystone. They're like, what? Uh, what? <laughs> Although some beers transcend that 110%. I say Keystone because I did my freshman year of college in Boulder, Colorado, and that's what we could get for super cheap. Right. A 30 case of Keystone at the time was $11. Yeah, so yeah, of course, of course. Like, once you graduated out of that, like, Blue Moon wasn't too high. It's not top shelf, but it's not, you know, it's still, it's a large craft. Sure. Yeah, yeah I, I I, have a hard time putting a target on that. But, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's a beer that they put an orange on, you know, a little orange wedge on the top, right, and everybody's right. drinking it, too. And you're like, oh, this is a really good beer. person next to you goes, oh, yeah, it really is a good beer. See, beer still is largely a very like, not counterculture thing like craft beer, but but it's a very like, you you, it's, you can't be in the know unless you like do the work. 
You know what I mean? Craft breweries don't advertise. They're getting to a lot more now with like, you know, print advertising and it depends yeah. on what magazines you pick up. But if you are just part of the normal popular culture, your exposure to beer goes probably as far as what's in the cooler. Budweiser, Miller, Coors, the you yeah. know, the macro heavy because those guys have, you know, billions of dollars for advertising. Right. So again, it's like, you know, when I was a kid, I I didn't know what I didn't know that music was cool. Because I only heard on the top 40 what they were playing on the radio station. Then when I found out I could go and dig into all these underground scenes, music was, you know, plentiful and crazy and weird. It's the same thing, you know. Right. You can dig as deep into that and go down that hole as as far as you want to go. Right. It's, again, what you, you what you put into it is what you get out of it. How deep. Uh, you were saying the same thing about the brew equipment. It's like, yeah. you know, how far down this rabbit hole do we want to go? Let's see. That's so my point is there's got to be, there's at least some sort of like, uh, I don't know, I, I, I like, you know, like you're saying, more inclined to have a conversation with somebody who's at least put in a little bit of the effort in terms of craft beer, or has researched a little bit of something outside of popular culture. But uh, something to be said about beer, though, is that it's getting, it, it it's oddly getting into this like hyper, hyper aware culture, but in a weird way. It's not so much, hey, what's the style that's here? Or what's that? It's just like physical access to a product. What I'm trying to say basically is beer is starting to get a little to me like Jordan sneakers, where if it's a limited release and it's only going to come out like right here, right now, you better snag it while you can. Like there's a, a lot of hype starting to generate in the small percentage of of beer drinkers who are into that scene. So it's like the 1% of the, what is craft in the entire market? If you had to say it's what, like 10% entire market. That's a good question. I don't know what it is these days. It yeah. used to be like 12% segment. Yeah. So it's, it's around 10%. So we're, yeah, we're, yeah. I, what I'm talking about is that like 1% of that 12%. Yeah. So that, that person who's like, I'll wait four hours in line for a beer that I'm not sure what it even tastes like, but I just want it because I might not be able to get it. Like there's that starting to happen to the beer industry, which is a uh, beer industry. That's been happening for a while. But it's interesting because you know you uh, say that say that in like 1994. You're not gonna say that in 1994. There's always been that like, aspect to the industry. You've just not seen it. There's always that as anything that is small and unknown and and rare and cool and whatever exclusive. There's always gonna be those people who chase it just to chase it because it's exclusive, no matter what it is. Right, but what I'm saying is, is that what used to be a very small, like niche, like part of the, of the beer drinkers in the world, those were people who are putting in the effort and doing whatever. Now that we're talking in like the market today, there are those people. What you're talking about, that small niche of people who put in the effort and do whatever. But now there are people who just want it. There are people who are like, I'll just wait four hours just so I can have it, and it's it. That's it. That's as far as they go down that rabbit hole. So it's just it, I don't I don't care what the beer tastes like I don't care about the brewery I don't care about whatever it's limited and I want it. So right. Y- you get what I'm saying? Like it, it's slightly yeah, different. I, it's like we, we we can appreciate having a conversation with someone where they're like, oh man, have you gone up to like Burlington, Vermont, and gone to foam? Like the beers they're making are like popping off. Like they are popping off. That's absolutely correct. Good call out or whatever. But you also got that guy who. Well, you know, I don't know, third or fourth generation down heard from something. And then they're just like, oh, I just here I have to get some of this foam. So I'm just going to get it. It's like they don't know anything about it. They don't know whatever, but they know they have to get it. 
It's like, you know, people getting in line for iPhones. Same thing. I think you <laughs> just took six minutes to say that something that I said six <laughs> minutes ago in 30 seconds. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I stand by those times, too. <laughs> check it. Time Fact stamp check. it. Yep, Fact check it. I stand by that. I'll scrub backwards. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't remember I don't remember how I got into beer. I don't remember what I used to drink. I I just yeah, I don't know. I drank a lot of Budweiser probably and I remember thinking Yingling was so fancy and cool and high end and crafty. Really? And then yeah, and then I what worked at a place <laughs> in Curious. college. Curious. In college. So when you were in college, people would drink Budweiser. And no, people would drink horrible a, things. You went to a uh, a pretty decent party school. Like so, people, people drank trash. People drank PBR. People drank Presidente. People drank whatever was cheapest. But this is PBR before like the hipsters got a hold of it. It was like, whatever it was cheapest. Yeah, yeah. That's what people would drink. Literally, just asking that question, and that's what they would say. Whatever's cheapest. Whatever's the cheapest thing. Right. I drank liquor in college. I didn't drink beer again. So I didn't get into beer until really late after college, actually. And I worked at a place that had a beer department. And you know, I like hung out with people that I place I worked at. Everyone was into beer, and that's kind of how I got into beer. And people worked in beer, so they would give me cool recommendations. And again, early on, I started with just the Blue Moons of the world, and yeah, that kind of stuff. But I would literally take any recommendation that anybody gave me. I remember the worst recommendation I ever got in my life. Somebody in that beer department recommended I get a Lining Klugel. I believe. I believe it was Summer Shandy. I don't even know if it was a Shandy. Something from Line and Kugel. Sorry to be calling you out, Line and Kugel, but he sold it to me as saying this beer tastes like Fruit Loops. Like Fruit Loops, the cereal. Correct. Got and it. he was 100% right. So his recommendation, his, his, his ideology was straight on, but he recommended it for me, and I just said I wanted yeah. something hoppy. Yeah, you don't and like sweet stuff. And that's what I stuff. got. Yeah. And I remember that beer tasting like cereal, sugary cereal, and it just grossed me out. So anyway, Trogue's Nugget Nectar was the first beer that got me into drinking anything hoppy. Huh. Because I love that juiciness from the nugget hop. And I like very bitter things. I like acidic things. So I automatically and initially gravitated towards those, you know, American hopped beers because I didn't quite much like the noble hops or the gentler hops or the flowery, you know, foo-foo-y hops. I really liked out the gate those like super bitter, juicy, impactful, bitter hops. Right. And I blew out my bitter palate very early on. That's why I have to drink things that are like 87 IBUs to taste hops. Yeah, you're Which outrageous. is unfortunate. You're outrageous. It's unfortunate. That's, see, that's why I think I'm falling back into lagers and pilsners right now. Something yeah, easy, something easier. You got palate fatigue. Yeah, I'm tired. You can't take it anymore. Fatigue. <laughs> You've destroyed your tongue. <laughs> I'm curious what the craft beer was that got you into drinking craft beer. Craft beer that got me into drinking Trug's craft beer. Trug's beers. Nugget Nectar was mine. I'm trying to think of the first craft beer I've ever had. It was Allagash. Really? So Allagash? Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I went into a delirium phase. <laughs> I was drinking a lot of delirium. I was sure. going to hold the Whole Foods Market in the New York cities because they had it in their beer cooler. Yeah. And it was easy to find because it's a ceramic glass. Oh God, I would have hated you. <laughs> I would have <laughs> fucking hated I you. And I was like, this beer gets me really fucked up. It's right. sweet. It's not super bitter. And I could drink two of them and I'm in a fine spot. And one day I walk into the Whole Foods and there's this really like 
chill guy who's totally got a beard and wears like horn room gra- uh, glasses. And he's just like, hey, man, like, I, I know you get the delirium all the time, but you should try this brewery called. Is this a real story? Yeah, this is a real story. Really? Yeah. You should try this beer called Allagash. And I'm like, what what are the, what's that? And he's like, oh, they're like an American brewery that makes uh, Belgian beers. And I'm like, oh, you mean like Almond Gang? <laughs> and he's just like, no, it's better than that. And I'm like, you knew Almond Gang uh, at that point, yeah? Because so, but you had exposure to craft beer. It, I've seen it. I've seen it. So it's like, uh, I can't say like I'm not one of those people that when I walk into a place. And someone walks up to me and they're like, hey, you should try this. My instinctual reaction is what's wrong with it? <laughs> Why are you trying? So you to don't take people's <laughs> recommendations? Yeah, I get a little put off. I'm just like, well, I kind of want to feel it out myself because my palate, I, I just know myself. My palate is super different. Most people do like savory things and do like things that are salty. I'm the opposite. I'm the exact opposite. So when you give me a recommendation, I'm like, oh, you're telling me to go left. I should probably go right. <laughs> Oh, so that's horrible. Uh, oh, that's horrible. I'm I, sorry. No, so, I mean, again... This you, do you know the person that gave you the recommendation, right? The person that gave me? Yeah. I hope it's Jesse. No. Oh. Uh, it's uh, not. But you met this person. Shout out to Jesse. You met this Josh? person. No. Uh, you went to Austin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you're thinking of the right person, and you just said the wrong name. No. Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, it was Jeff. Probably. I don't know. I don't think so. He was a fat guy. <laughs> oh, okay. Jeff. I'm talking about my beer mentor, who is my old uh, beer manager, who lives down in Texas. Nice. Well, it <laughs> it was a good experience. Uh, I want to say it was the triple that I tried first. I just remember the that lab- makes sense, the right? Right, that makes sense. I just remember the label. Delirium's a like a golden ale brew with champagne, so yeah, triple would make the most sense. Yeah, but I, I don't mean, think that they were putting triple in the four packs back then, were they? I don't remember the vessel that I bought it in for sure, but I want to. So you say had an Allagash triple. I thought you just said an Allagash white was your first craft beer. No, no, no. I didn't. You asked me if it was white, and I did not confirm. Oh, so you're <laughs> giving me insistence. I just said Allagash. Now we know it's the triple. <laughs> now we know it's the triple. It was the triple. I believe it was the triple. That's cool, man. Do you still yeah. drink that beer? I haven't had it in a long time now that you say that. It's, you should it's, go back and drink it's it. It's one of those things where it's just like uh, beer to me at this point. I went through like a huge like draft phase where I was only drinking like draft beer. Yeah. And now I'm falling back into a bottle phase. Um, but I, I would say uh, having been a person who travels to Portland fairly regularly, like it's I've never gone to Portland and knock on the Allagash. I'll say that. Let's say it like that. Yeah. And I, I think that's a subconscious thing. I think there's a part of me, you know, I'm now in the hoppier beers. Uh, when we go up to Portland, we go to Bissell Brothers, Austin Street. We go to Battery Steel. Was Bissell Brothers the um, beer that got you into drinking hoppy beer and liking it? Yes. So absolutely. Reciprocal was that beer? Right. So you and I go up to Portland. Uh, you're showing really me the beer tree. Yeah, beer scene. The beer's really hoppy. Right. And it's right down the street from Allagash. Again, we yeah. just happen to walk in there. Um, you wanted the Luxus cans, I believe that they had. Is it the Luxus cans? That doesn't sound no. like me. No, it's the, the that's the rye beer. It's not that. It's the um Lux is the Bissell Brothers. No, but beer. I'm confusing it. I'm like slurring it into the other beer that you like with the can. 
that they just sold out of when we went there. It was the very first time I ever went to Fluxus. Bissell. Fluxus? That's not a thing. No. What, right. are you, what Bissell Brothers are you referring um, to? Gosh. I do. It was pretty cool of me back then to be in the Bissell Brothers and wanted to go there for a thing. You had just tried the beer on draft, but they got sold out of cans. And I remember. Yeah, Bissell Brothers, if you're listening, I remember the days when you were the little tap room in industrial way and you only had three beers on draft and I showed up and you had zero of them. And it was awesome because you were sold out. So I thought you were something special. And then I came back the next time and I got some of your beer and then I came back the next time and I've just been drinking it since 2012. It it's not Diavoletto, is it? No, I don't like no. that beer. Um, At the time, this was probably just Substance. They only probably had no, they only had substance cans for a while. They were releasing Reciprocal that day. Reciprocal wasn't a printed can; it was a label wrapped can at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember drinking it and being like, "This is the first beer that has tropical and fruity notes. Like it's reeks Reciprical? of it. Reciprocal. Yeah, it reeks of it. Gotcha. Um, it smells of it, and the smell of it is more the tropical side and less of the bitter side. And it's yeah, exactly. It's not malty at all. It's exactly. dry. But it's not so dry that it feels like I just licked a salt cube and I have to drink some water. It's like dr dry enough that it's still satiable. It's so funny you say that because I can picture what you're saying, but just like I don't care. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, don't care that my tongue and feels the way in my mouth and palate are left like scorching. Like I, I don't care. I think that's why the average person doesn't like IPAs. I think the average the, – I mean obviously you get those people who are just like, I need to have an IPA. Give me the hobbyist thing you got. But again, I think that's a hype thing more than it is a taste thing. Most people, I don't think, want to drink something and be more thirsty after they drink it. Yeah, bitter is a very um, people like most people don't you know receive bitter well. Some people, most people are grossed out by the taste of bitter, the flavor right. of bitter. Right, and, and that, that's sensical. You know, when you think, when you really think about it, you're like, man, why would I want to be eating something bitter like just over and over? kind of crazy to think about yeah <laughs> and i mean in you know the average american drinker is drinking budweiser or you know coors or you know i mean these light lagers right so it's insane to think that a big percentage of them out of nowhere was just like give me this tart bitter dry like insanely pow in your face scrape your tongue experience coming off that and again look what i did I you graduate up to that but that's what i'm saying when i realized i liked ipas i drank exclusively nothing but ipas probably for like eight years and belgians for me i was drinking you know give me 10 percent or above <laughs> abv give me something sweet with honey and yeah, awesomeness I, I like, what you're and bananas Right, so when you lock onto something, you just like love it. Yeah, it, and it plays to your palate. I, I, I would say to this day that you have a very savory palate, and I have a very sweet palate. We have, and two those sides are the beers we fall into a lot of the time. Yeah, it all, it all makes sense. It all works out. I've got you drinking a lot of bitter things, out. so I guess that's great. Yeah, I've rubbed off on you too. I've got you drinking some, you know. Let's play that. What fish song was that? <laughs> I heard it. Cities. You wanna, you wanna hear yeah, a little cities? Yeah, some cities. Easter egg for people who don't know what I'm talking about. You can go back and listen to that. <laughs> I got a cities right here for you, actually. Awesome. Very cool, dude. Well. This has been a good podcast, I think. 
Yeah? Yeah, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Thank you for uh, joining us, for those of you that did. I think we, we accomplished our goal of talking about fish and beer. It, it's an awesome uh, podcast for me to think about in theory. And then, like, I get so into it that I, I get it's like a secret set of fish. I get so lost in it where I'm just yeah. like, I my ears perk up and I'm just like, wait a second. <laughs> this is not where I parked my car. Is that your catchphrase? <laughs> That's your. That's the kids' catchphrase. <laughs> this is not where I park my car. <laughs> but it's always in a playful way. Like I could be here, but this is not where I parked my car. <laughs> catchphrase. All right. Cool. Well, until next time. Uh, Thank you for listening to Got It to Brew. Uh, we will catch you next week. See you next week. See ya.
so